1: Eric Kozlick, and today we've got a really excellent and timely episode for your listening enjoyment. This is airing first on August 24th, 2017, and we are in the midst of Amaro week. As some of you know, And Amaro is a bitter Italian-style liqueur, and this particular category has really been taken off in the last few years. Thankfully, I've been personally able to enjoy the resurgence with the help of a really strong local Amaro company here in Washington, D.C., called Don Ciccio Ifigi. They've got a really, really fantastic product line. And in this episode, I sit down with portfolio manager Jonathan Vazzano, who schools me in the nuances of Amari, Appetitivi, and Cordials. I want to give a special shout out to our listener Kevin Collins, who specifically requested this interview via Twitter, he said, and I quote: "Modern Barcart have been enjoying the podcast. Thinking about doing an episode on Amari. Upward inflection? Question mark. Should do an interview with Don Chiscio. Well, Kevin, it took less than two weeks for Modern Barcart to make your request a reality. And I'm not saying it's always going to happen that way, but we do aim to please here. So." If anyone else listening out there has any episode topics they'd like to suggest, please do chime in on social media or by hitting us up via email, podcast at modernbarcart.com. Now, before we jump into the interview, I'm going to share with you my favorite drink to make with a bitter liqueur, and that beverage is the Notorious Negroni. If you've been experimenting with cocktails for a while, you may have run across this cocktail. And it has the reputation for being either something you love or something you're kind of not that into. But so many times, people who are initially a little bit skeptical of the flavor profile end up coming back and really loving the Negroni once they've had a bit more experience. That's my story anyway, and I've heard it from other people as well. Really simple cocktail to make, but all of the components are boozy, so it packs a punch. And as I mentioned later in this episode, the Negroni is an extremely batchable cocktail which makes it great for entertaining guests in your home so if you want to make one fill your mixing glass with ice and combine equal parts gin campari which is an italian appetitivo and sweet vermouth the traditional amount per cocktail is one ounce of each of those three ingredients but you can always double that if you're mixing for two and of course if you have a big enough mixing glass So you stir that up, get it all chilled down, and either strain it into a coupe glass, serve it up without any ice, or conversely, into a rocks glass over a single large rock to avoid dilution. Then you garnish that with an expressed orange peel, like so many of the great cocktails out there, and you enjoy that drink. When I'm mixing up a Negroni at home, I also throw in a few dashes of embitterment orange bitters, which you can pick up on modernbarcart.com. This is definitely our best-selling bitters flavor, and it's absolutely packed with essential orange oils extracted straight from the peels of our organic oranges. You can either add these bitters to the mixing glass with the other Negroni ingredients, or do like I do and float them right on top of the final drink for a really great fragrant pop each time, you take a sip. We ship straight to your doorstep, so check out the website and grab a bottle to start playing with today. Back to the matter at hand, some of the topics we cover in this episode include the difference between amari, TV and cordials, the history of herbs and spices in the Mediterranean, how an earthquake in Italy eventually led to an American amaro company, the best cocktails to make with your favorite bitter liqueurs and much much more. I had a great time talking with Jonathan, who happens to be a good friend of mine, and I know you're eager to listen and learn, so I'm going to get out of the way here and let you enjoy this fascinating discussion with Jonathan Fasano of Don Ciccio e Fi. Jonathan Fasano, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Before we jump in and start talking about all of the crazy, interesting stuff about Amaro, could you just introduce yourself
0: and tell folks what your background is? Uh, absolutely. So again, Jonathan Fazzano, uh, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, moved to D.C. about three and a half, almost four years ago now. And I guess my background here at Don Ciccio Fii, um, or my position, is going to be portfolio manager at this point. Um, started though as a production assistant and then kind of worked my way into sales and marketing. But before all of this great... World of uh, amari and artisanal Italian spirits. I was actually a studio art major in school, um, so graduated with a bachelor's in studio art, minor in Italian. Photography and sculpture were my focuses, so very tactile kind of individual kind of helps me relate to this world that I'm in now. And actually moved to DC for a, a different job entirely, uh, trying to be a young adult in life, and then. Like a lot of us, uh, just was consumed by the alcohol, and or excuse me, the interests and the kind of diversity of alcohol, and just found my way into a position that has helped me grow as an individual. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of the, the short answer to it all.
1: Nice. Yeah, it seems I didn't realize you were a studio art major. Yeah. Uh, so I think it seems I I have the, the poetry background, and so it seems like the world of spirits and mixers tends to uh, to draw us uh, ex humanities folks. Yeah, it gives us a good uh, outlet for our creative processes, right? Yeah, it's so creative. Uh, I think the nice thing is that you and I end up in our day to day doing a lot of going through a lot of the same creative and iterative processes. So it'll be interesting to hear you talk about those. But for a little bit of background, uh, I hope you can kind of give us an overview of Chicho and what this company is all about, some of the products that you make, just kind of like to if you can give folks the narrative of how it started.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so of Fiyi, really the name comes from Uh, the original distiller back on the Amalfi Coast, Don Ciccio himself, Ciccio being a nickname for Francesco. Um, Our founder here in D.C. is Francesco Amadeo, so he shares the name of his grandfather, uh, who is the most recent head of the distillery back on the Amalfi Coast. Um, So there's kind of two parts to our company. The one that's here in D.C. that started in October of 2012, and then you have the original distillery, that is somewhat still intact on the Amalfi Coast, uh, not operating uh, currently, but the cellar and most of our inventory that we kind of pull from in terms of inspiration and original recipes is still established there. Um, So they operated on the Amalfi Coast for about a century, uh, late 1800s up until 1980. In 1980, there was an earthquake that put the distillery out of commission, um, and then it was never rebuilt with my boss's father's generation. So it's been dormant ever since 1980. And so in a way, we're kind of pretending like it's 1985. Um, You know, five years later, uh, pick up right where they left off. And so we produce, again, Italian-style spirits, uh, considered liqueurs, if you will. And I I think we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, But a nice variety, 13 different products. Um, from the slightly bitter side to the heavily bitter side, and then purely sweet as well. I didn't realize that there was an earthquake involved. That's pretty cool. Can you just give people a
1: geographic fix on the Amalfi Coast, just in case uh, they are not familiar?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's uh, southwest coast of Italy, uh, very close to Naples. Um, and then the earthquake that occurred was in Irapena, Um, so in a southern region of Italy. Um, so it was one of the strongest earthquakes that Italy's ever experienced. Um, and so it had effects on the original distillery. But yeah, southwest coast of Italy, um, really, really beautiful place.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I, I like about Don Ciccio as a company is a lot of folks, especially in D.C., are kind of getting their feet wet for the first time They're is no real heritage, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think you need a heritage to be a distiller, to be interested in it, and to make good products. I think that's certainly not the case. But it's really interesting to be able to access, like Francesco has this really great heritage, and just... Even when you're just around him, you can kind of feel his excitement and his creativity. So it's it's really nice to have access to that kind of heritage here in D.C., even if it is a bit of a transplant. hundred uh, percent.
0: I'll often say that we are as Italian as you can get, but as American as you can get. You know, considering the fact that we're sourcing all of our ingredients domestically, producing everything here in D.C. But, you know, all the practices, procedures and recipes that we have our hands on uh, originate in Italy or from Italy. So... Very cool. So, I think first what we should do is give people
1: the definition of an amaro. And we've I've had an episode uh, with a guy named Josh Wolf, where we talked about various uh, liqueurs, bitters, and vermouths, where we kind of hit on this, but I kind of want this episode to be a bit more of a deep dive on it since we have
0: access to your knowledge. So could you start with talking about what an Amaro is, specifically the Amaro? Yeah. Um, So Amaro, again, you touched on liqueurs. Uh, Amaro is a liqueur. Uh, Liqueurs are kind of categorized because of their um, level of sugar content. But if you break down the word liqueur, I mean, Amaro falls under that category. So let's start there. Um, Liqueur derives from the phrase liquefare in Italian. Liquefare means to liquefy. So you are liquefying the essence of your ingredients via alcohol primarily, right? You can do it with wine. You can do it with grappa. Um, That's why you have a lot of varieties of different liqueurs per se. So Amaro falls within that category. And Amaro actually means bitter in Italian. Uh, Amargo in uh, Spanish, uh, Amaro in Italian. So why bitter? Uh, Bitter is chosen because it's the primary kind of flavor profile uh, for Amari, being plural version of Amaro. Um, And so bitters uh, coming from barks and roots, uh, barks and roots were chosen because of their high levels of quinine. Um, Because of the quinine, they were using that um, to kind of remedy themselves or fight against things like malaria. And so amari back in the day were created as medicinal remedies. So you start with that foundation of barks and roots with your high levels of quinine, and then you layer on top different herbs and spices. So I'll often refer to them as an Italian's version of NyQuil in a way, because you're also drinking it more towards the evening, um, or an alcoholic tea because, you know, those herbs and spices that you have on top, you've got chamomile, eucalyptus, coriander, chicory, passionflower, I mean, amongst a lot of other things. So then you have the construction of that, and that's going to be comprised of roughly, you know, 20, 30, sometimes 40 different ingredients. Amari are also very regional products, so if you look at kind of the scope of Amari that exists out there, a lot of them have different flavor profiles, and a lot of that comes from the fact that when you're creating them, you're sourcing from what's growing around you. Um, and so you're utilizing you know, herbs that, or flowers that maybe grow in central Italy versus northern Italy versus southern Italy. Traditionally, Amari come from Italy, but that really goes back to the fact that they were established first because of the spice trade. Uh, the Byzantine Empire, Romans would seize many of the herbs and spices coming from the south of India as they hit the port in Alexandria, Egypt. And so they were the first to really have their hands on the herbs and spices that would then be distributed to the rest of Europe through mostly Venice and Genoa. Um, And so if you think about the Roman Empire, you know, getting their hands on these first, Italians were the first to really take them and explore with them, originally throwing them into their wine. And then as they become more developed, you know, throwing them into different distilled types of spirits. That is really cool. I never made that Italian
1: kind of trade connection where you start with the Romans and then eventually by the time the late Middle Ages and the Renaissance hit, obviously the Italians and their city-states were the dominant trade force in the Mediterranean, so it completely makes sense why they would have access to these spices probably before and at a better price, one would imagine, than most other people in that world.
0: Right, which, you know, if you want to go even deeper, you can explore how, you know, eventually, when the fall of the um, Byzantine Empire came and the rise of the Ottoman Empire, Turkish Empire, a lot of different countries like Portugal, uh, Spain, they didn't want to pay the high tariffs that were on your herbs and spices primarily from Venice. And so, you know, as time goes on, you know, circumnavigating uh, around Africa, uh, sea exploration became a little more intriguing to people. And then you have uh, Vasco da Gama, who was the first to travel around Africa and finally reach India. So. It's kind of, uh, it's cool just to, to look back and think about, you know, these herbs and spices being essentially your your use of money, right? Um, people being paid in salts. Fennel seeds were really highly prized because of the illusion of, you know, mental and physical power that they gave you. Um, gladiators used to drink either like a fennel tea or a fennel liqueur before going into battle. So you can really dive in pretty deep into this world of Amari.
1: That's um, really cool. I think maybe this this is the, the stuff we should th- maybe compile and put into an article or something we yeah. can you, we could probably get somebody to bite on that but time for another day so we've got amaro the plural of which is amari and there are other types of liqueurs that don Ciccio makes so can you now kind of help us to distinguish between amari and
0: then the and the uh cordials, what, cordials. Yep. okay Yeah, um, so all right, let's kind of visualize this. We have the umbrella of liqueurs, and then within that you have Amari, which are usually, I think tend to be the oldest style of liqueurs uh, produced in Italy. But then you have cordials. Cordials are gonna be on the sweeter side, kind of as the name suggests in a way. Um, And that's more of your one, two, three ingredient type of products, also fruit and vegetable focused. So for instance, we do a limoncello, that's gonna be your most popular cordial, right? And then we do a mandarin liqueur, or cordial, uh, prickly pear, fennel, walnut. Um, and so those are just all single ingredients that go into it. Uh, comprise of you know the ingredient itself, alcohol, water, and sugar. And then in addition to that, uh, within the liqueur category, you have as you mentioned the aperitivi. So aperitivi are related to amari, similar construction. If you notice, you know your Grand Classico, your Campari, um, your Apérol, you've got slight bitterness in there, um, and then you have a lot of herbal notes as well. And so being related to amari, Italians wanted to drink something that was similar in terms of helping you digest, kind of settle your stomach a little bit earlier in the day. So they wanted it to be a little bit lighter. So as a lot of people say, um, when you're choosing what to drink, amari or TV, uh, a lot of Italians will say, "Have the the sun guide you." Right. So during, depending upon the hour that you're drinking, that's why you kind of have a TV in the sunset hour. Also, why they're kind of red and rosy. Versus the Amari that are kind of midnight black in, in some cases. So, being derived from or derivatives of Amari, Aperitivi, again, barks, roots, herbs, and spices, but less of them. So, as I was saying, if you have about 30 or so ingredients in your Amari, you're going to have about 15 or 20 ingredients in your Aperitivi. This is all generally speaking. You know, I mean, if you ask the recipes of, of uh, different Aperitivi out there or Amari, people are going to hold back a lot. But in general, uh, less ingredients, and then that rosy red color that you have in Aperitivi, and also the added flavor of citrus. Citrus is not usually a dominant flavor in Amari, but it is in Aperitivi. You know, like your Campari and your Aperol, you have that, that orange citrus to it. Um, even Grand Classico, you get some citrus. And so with our products, um, it's primarily gonna be our mandarin, and then grapefruit peel that we bring in to be our citrus components in our Aperitivi. Some people will think uh, level of alcohol content, not necessarily the case. Yes, they tend to be a little bit lighter, but if you look at Campari being 24% and then you have Chinar that's at 16.5%, right? The original Chinar. So it's not always, and Chinar being an Amaro, it's not always the case that your percentages are going to be lower when you get to a pair of TV. I think
1: just to zoom out with percentages, there's a couple of different ways to look at this you can look at it, the, the alcohol presence in the particular product as simply a flavor thing, right? Cause the amount of alcohol uh, affects the flavor experience, but then you can also look at it as uh, the potential for that particular product to extract flavor, right? Cause the, the, the higher, the proof of the alcohol, the more effectively it extracts. So, I think maybe this is a good time to talk about how how do you
0: make these things? Yeah, that's a really great point. So we start with a neutral grain spirit. Again, NGS, uh, any grain-based spirit that's been distilled to 190 proof can be considered NGS. Ours is a composition of corn and barley, a little bit more corn than it is barley. Um, And it's important to note, too, that we don't distill that. We purchase that alcohol, right? The fact that it comes to us consistent, concise every single time helps us maintain the balance of these 13 products that we make. So you're starting with that 190 proof. And again, as you mentioned, yes, start as high as possible if you can, if you're making this at home or whatever, because it's going to bring out, it's going to pull out the oils, um, again the essence of your ingredients. It's going to extract them a lot cleaner, the coloring um, and the physical structure too. And in the case of our walnut liqueur, the physical structure of that kind of buttery nuttiness um, or oiliness that you get from the walnuts is very important to us. So. You take your alcohol, you infuse it with your ingredients, uh, in terms of the cordials, your fresh fruits and vegetables, in terms of the Amari and aperitivi, your spices um, and your herbs. You weigh them out, uh, throw them in, and then you let it sit, you know, about maybe two, three weeks or so, uh, depending upon what's in there. Always keeping an eye on it. In the case of, you know, our lemons and orange peels, you'll notice that they'll be very dehydrated, they'll be pulled of their color, they come out nice and crispy, right? Um, So, you know, you're going in the right direction. Um, Time frame too. time is always uh, something you need to keep an eye on. If you keep things in too long, just like cooking, it can spoil on you. Right. If you put them in for too short of time, you're not pulling enough of those flavors. Um, And then the next step is actually very important. It's what we call racking system uh, or filtration, racking filtration, where you let the product sit in separate tanks. You can divide the product into smaller tanks to help expedite that process. So gravity is just pulling the solids from the liquids, collecting them at the bottom, and then you skim from the top of that tank. But again, another two or three weeks there as well, because you want the flavors to then blend uh, a little bit more together. And so, in that stage, you will test the alcohol. Uh, whether you have a simple alcohol alcoholometer, um, right, that you drop in there that measures it, or if you have this big fancy machine, the important part is the density and the percentage on that alcohol at that time. Getting those numbers, you, then you'll help. It will help you understand how much water and sugar you need to proof it down to what you then want to sell it at on the bottle. So essentially, going from 190 in your original state or 190 proof, and then down to about 180 proof once you've infused it, uh, and then eventually stretching that with your water and sugar to what we sell generally 25 proof, or excuse me, 50 proof, 25% for our cordials, you know, helping us maintain a balance of flavors. It's very important to us to respect the ingredients. Being from the Amalfi Coast, it's about uh, ingredients. It's about flavors. It's about the authenticity of your ingredients. And so, why overshadow that with too much alcohol? Right? Why overshadow that with too much sugar? If you have a forty percent limoncello, you're going to need a lot of sugar to mask that level of alcohol. So it's no wonder when people say that they got so sick off of limoncello because you're just you're compounding that problem. So twenty-five percent for most of our products really helps us maintain a nice balance um, of all of the flavors involved.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's really nice to see uh, how intentional a simple number on a label can be. Another point that I want to uh, highlight for folks who may just be casual enthusiasts, when I make Embitterment Bitters, I am essentially doing, without the sugar, a miniature version of what Jonathan and Francesco were doing. So I can relate to a lot of this stuff. And one of the things that I want to point out is... The consistency and how difficult that is to maintain, and how much work you have to put into it. So let's let's do a hypothetical. Let's take your walnut uh, nocino, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more
0: about the walnuts in that product? Yeah. Uh, so the walnuts themselves are coming from California. Uh, most of our fresh fruit produce or the walnuts. I mean, all the walnuts always come from California. Uh, lemons, oranges as well. We were getting a lot of this produce from Italy, but demand to have to produce year round, you know, we need California. California is a very big part in what we do. Right. So Jonathan and Francesco need California.
1: (laughs) California has a drought one year or multiple years, or perhaps, well, let's flip the script. Perhaps it's a particularly wet year in California. That affects the way that the walnuts grow, that affects when they're harvested, the Chemical composition of those walnuts. So, no matter what happens, the walnuts that Jonathan and Francesco get from year to year are going to be inconsistent. And so, these steps that Jonathan just described are really really important because what they're doing is they're actually taking they're they're trying to be as consistent as possible so that when somebody walks up to the store shelf they know exactly the flavor profile that they're going to get or particularly for bartenders who want to use these in cocktails at their high volume cocktail bars they know exactly what they're going to get bottle after bottle and so despite the natural fluctuations in the ingredients that they're using they have to go through all of these steps and they've really carefully thought out these steps to be able to adjust for that inconsistency and put out a consistently high quality and repeatable consistent product
0: yeah and a lot of that comes from again the practices and procedures that we've adopted from francesco's family's distillery when i watch him you know calculate the water and sugar content that's going into it That's probably one of the most important parts, because as you were saying, you're going to get, you know, different concentrations of your alcohol just as you would almost your bitters. Right. Um, And so if your walnuts are coming out differently or your lemons and so on and so forth, you need to adjust for those inconsistencies. And that really comes from the amount of water and sugar that goes in, because when we're batching these out, it's hardly ever the same amount of water hardly ever the same amount of sugar. It's all depending upon the alcohol in that state, the aromas, the flavors that it's giving off because then sugar is going to bring out more flavor, right? Or if you use less, it's going to bring out a little bit less flavor. It's also sugar's important in terms of your mouthfeel. Uh, you want that certain consistency. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of adjusting. It's a lot of moving liquids. And again, it's kind of three simple steps of your infusion, maceration, filtration, and then holding, which we call the the final mixing of the water, sugar, and alcohol. But it's all those finite or those minute details within that. You're totally right. Yeah. Makes a big difference. So now that we've given folks a really good deep dive into the
1: physical process of making an Amaro or a liqueur, and operativo. I want to jump into some of the cocktail stuff, but can you just go quickly through your product line and just tell us all of your products? I think you broke down the the regular non-bitter liqueurs for us, the cordials, but could you go through all of them and kind of maybe give each product uh, a basic description of that? And if there's an existing sort of like large-scale Amaro that maybe it corresponds with, maybe uh, identify
0: that for folks so that they can start drawing these commercial connections, I guess? Yeah. So we usually start, you know, I'll kind of go through the whole tasting order that we do, and this order is pretty specific because we don't want to overwhelm your palate with too much bitterness at once. So we'll start you with the aperitivo, calm down the palate with the cordials, and then dive back into the bitter world of the Amari. So we have Cinque in the beginning, Cinque aperitivo, uh, five in Italian same spelling as Sank in french but you know chicho "cinque." it's kind of the pronunciations for italians um it is going to be kind of like our aperol in a way a little bit lighter um, also in terms of your percentage 15 percent on that one um, dual flavor profile of a gentian root and bitter orange base and then we work our mandarin alcohol into it so in its raw alcohol state we incorporate that citrus note and so light, delicate, and then that gentian root gives you more of that sharp, poignant style bitter. Um, It's kind of a backbone. I would say it is a backbone. Totally. Absolutely. You know, gentian is found in a lot of uh, bitter products and you're right. It is a good backbone. I think that and Quassia Bark are two really important backbones. Um, So gentian root, bitter orange, again, that bitter orange used for that kind of bitter pith that you get instead of that citrus. And then that's why we bring in the mandarin alcohol. Um, And then next up would be C3 carciofo, which is our artichoke aperitivo. So when I describe this to people, I I tell them, think uh, the aperitivo cousin to chinar, right? The long-lost relative, if you will, to to chinar. Chinar being an amaro is going to have more ingredients. It's going to have more floral components to it, more variety. In a way, I call it noise. Just a lot more going on our aperitivo, carciofo, is going to be more focused on that vegetable style bitterness. So as you let it sit on your palate, it gives you that dense, hearty bitterness that you would almost get from like broccoli rabe or um, artichokes themselves. Um, So we use three different kinds of artichokes in that, C3s, green globes, violettas. For extra bitterness to keep it in the family, we also use cardoon leaves. And then your citrus in that is coming from fresh grapefruit peels. So 23% on that kind of placing it right in the middle of um, Chinar, the newly renovated Chinar 70, if you will. And then we have Luna Amara, which Luna is going to round out our aperitivo category at, for the moment at 23% as well. And that's going to be more like our uh, Campari. So it's also important to note that we say Amara in the name, but it's still categorized as an aperitivo. We use Amara because it's bitter, right? bitter moon in a way but that's just because of the meaning of the word Amaro. So it's not, for us, it's more of an aperitivo than it is an Amaro, but 16 different botanicals. So this was actually produced originally, it wasn't called Luna, but Francesco's family produced this to be more in line with Gran Classico, so a Turin-style aperitivo. So you get those bright floral components, and we wanted to marry that with the intensity that you got from Campari, so you could use it as you would Campari as well in your spritzes, Negronis, things of things of that nature. The sweetness from Luna is going to come from our prickly pear alcohol um, that we make on the side and then grapefruit peel for your citrus as well in that. And then as we go through the cordials, you've got the classic limoncello, uh, mandarinetto, fico d'India, which is the prickly pear or tuna in Spanish, and then finocchietto, which is a fresh fennel and dill liqueur. Uh, That's my favorite of the sweet cordials that just... Really gentle, sweet, vegetal fennel, complemented by that savory dill. Um, yeah, it's a really, great. it's a really, really good product. Yeah. That's my favorite of, of those as well. Yeah, really versatile. And then the nocino, which is that you know hearty, uh, but still really kind of light and delicate walnut liqueur. And then the amari are going to be our amaro donorosa, which is a rose and rhubarb based amaro, kind of like uh, zuka. And then I also refer to amaro sfumato, or by Capitelli. Um, without the smoke on it, but very much that rhubarb base. Um, And you get a little bit of smoke just from the natural side of the rhubarb, but the bright floral side of the rose petals to pair with that velvety bitterness you get from rhubarb. Uh, And then we do Amaro Donferne, which is our Fernet style Amaro. It's going to be ginger, mint, and saffron primarily. Uh, with ours, we wanted to give you more of a delicate, gentle, clean mint instead of that heavy mentholated flavor that you get from a lot of fernettes. Still going to be grassy, earthy, uh, fernet finish to it, but nice, delicate, cooling sensation of that mint up front. And then you have our flagship Amaro, which is Amaro de Sirene, following the story of the sirens um, from the Amalfi Coast. What do we say about this? Uh, the most complex product that we, we produce for sure, 30 different ingredients. The original recipe came from uh, a candy factory on the Amalfi Coast where Francesco's great-grandmother was the packaging manager. We also barrel-age all of our amari. That's an important note too, um, to bring in sweetness. So we barrel-age them in French oak barrels for 12 months with the goal of less added sugar in the end because we want them to remain nice and lean A lot of Amari produced today tend to be a little more sweet than their vintage bottles, if you will. Uh, We theorize to make them more palatable for Western culture, but in a way that's contradictory to, you know, what an Amaro is. As we were saying, as a digestif, it's supposed to be uplifting, help you. Uh, It's not, you don't want to be weighed down by that sugar. So barrel aged for 12 months in French oak. Um, The Amaro della Sirene comes out with... Just lots of complexity on it. Really hearty in the front. I almost get a savory side of it, like kind of like that that ocean breeze from the Amalfi Coast in a way, and then just a, a cacophony of herbs and spices on top. It uh, is it's really wonderful. I do. I also get kind of that saline quality where
1: it's you get. Um, I don't know. It's it's a little bit hard to describe, but but you get something that kind of acts as a flavor go between in between the bitterness and all of the herbal complexity. It's something that kind of bridges that and allows the the
0: kind of unified experience. Yeah, totally. And then, so two more products, uh, one being our new our newest product, Amaro Tonico Ferrochina, which this is really interesting. Um, Ferrochina being an iron-based Amaro. So Amari back in the day were crafted as medicinal remedies. Uh, amaro Ferrochina was made as a supplement for iron deficiencies. So being from the Mediterranean, you know, uh, consuming more fish than meat, typically developing iron deficiencies, Italians would cook their barks and roots over the iron plates, or they would let citrus kind of erode away at the iron and then work that in. So this is also an Amaro that's very citrus forward. So it's a little unique in the sense that I was describing Amari don't generally have that that abundance of citrus in them, but really nice and thin, light, a delicate metallic sensation on the finish really really unique product and then to round everything out we usually go back to sweet with our dessert liqueur which is our espresso and barley uh, concerto just a really rich decadent dessert liqueur 12 percent so lowest alcohol content for us and in this case consider everything else is proofed down with water and sugar concerto is actually proofed down with that coffee. So we're making alcoholic infusion on the side that we then work into the coffee base. Gotcha. Yeah. And so
1: when, just to clarify, so that folks who
0: are trying to follow your process
1: here, when you say that your Amari are barrel aged, they are barrel aged at the point when they are at 190 proof, 95%. And then they come out of the barrels and then you add the sugar and water after that, correct? Yep. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. So I know that for some folks who are listening to this, the process of distillation and and making these various alcoholic products may seem a little bit intimidating. Uh, I think one good fun solution to that is to actually uh, go and visit some of these distillers and these these producers that we feature here on the Modern Bar Cart podcast podcast. Uh, If you don't live in D.C., there's very likely somebody near you who either produces a spirit or a liqueur or something like that where you can go visit the actual production facility and taste some of the stuff and, and actually speak to the people who make it. And as you can kind of hear from just the way that Jonathan explains this, it's, it's a really unique uh, treat to be able to to hear from the person who spends their day with this stuff, exactly what you're getting on the palate. one of my favorite descriptors, uh, a delicate metallic taste on the Mm -hmm. tongue. Like some of these things that we don't necessarily think of in our daily lives. And I think that's where some of the value lies here in just the sheer diversity and fun of tasting all this stuff. So, I'm not going to linger on some of these other commercial amari that you use to kind of compare your products to i think we're going to get more into those as the podcast ages and evolves but if anybody has any questions about amari feel free to email podcast at modernbarcart.com and hopefully i can point you toward if there's uh no donchicchio products available to you then we can hopefully get you to a, a suitable cocktail usage that being said, let's get into some cocktails. So can you talk through a couple of maybe the more popular cocktails that are made with Amari so that
0: folks can get a feel for what it's like to mix with these products? Yeah. So Amari for me, I enjoy them and your the most in kind of your basic style cocktails, like your old fashions, your Manhattans, obviously your Negroni's, So, but then again, that's going to be more of an aperitivo into that, but still bringing out that bitterness. But when you're using Amari in cocktails, approach them as, you know, additions to your bitters, because the bitters that you're using, that you're creating, right, give you that that stimulation right up front. Um, So you want that, and then you want to evolve into that kind of sweet side of the cocktail, and then the Amari in the cocktail are going to give you that kind of bitter finish to it, right, kind of drag it out, the really long legs that you have on it. So simply taking you know a quarter to a half an ounce of an amaro, throwing it into your old fashioned or your Manhattan, just bringing it a lot of depth because they also play really well with whiskey. They play well with whiskey. They play well with gins in a lot of cases, depending upon the construction of the amari, how many herbs and spices they have in them, and then how you know herbal or piney uh, the gin is that you're using. So you know the hanky panky with fernet um, is a good example. You know, our Fernet's gonna give you just a more, kind of a a lighter, delicate balance of those flavors. But again, it's about achieving that balance in your cocktail. Um, I like Amari in cocktails because it helps dry it out a little bit. I'm not too enthusiastic about your super sweet cocktails. One of my favorites actually is a Black Manhattan. So Mm. instead of the vermouth, you know, traditionally using Averna and maintaining the rest of your, you know, Manhattan ingredients. But just bringing in that, that heartiness into your cocktail and complexity as well. Absolutely. So just for the folks who are listening at home,
1: we are going to definitely have these recipes for some of the cocktails that Jonathan's m- mentioning here on the show page. Probably include the Hanky Panky, the Negroni, the Black Manhattan. Uh, but I do just want to quickly reference those here. So Black Manhattan, and Jonathan, definitely correct me if I'm messing any of these ratios up because I'm doing this off the top of my head. So it'd be two ounces of whiskey and then one ounce of, instead of a vermouth, you would use that as your Amaro. And if
0: somebody was to make a black Manhattan with one of your products, what would you usually use? Uh, So my favorite one is actually going to be one of our aperitivos, which is the C3 Carchofo, because it was catered to be more of a savory style cocktail Mm -hmm. uh, modifier. And so that's my personal favorite because it gives you that really just dense, straightforward bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. I've
1: actually, I've, I've had that with uh, bourbon, like a four Roses bourbon and an ounce of the C3 and it's really, really lovely. And I, I throw in because with, with Manhattan, you are also using orange bitters. I threw a little bit of the embitterment orange bitters in there. Uh, I actually floated it right on top because as Jonathan was mentioning, you get that right up front. And then with the presence of the Amaro, it's kind of like toward the back of the palate, the finish. Of the drink, and so it's really nice having that nice orange pop right up front, floating on top of the drink, where, whereas usually
0: it's stirred in, and then having it balanced out by the amari on the finish. Yeah, kind of going back to as we were saying, you know, our art backgrounds and stuff. You know, what is art? Art is supposed to make you stop and think, right? It's supposed to evoke something in you, whether it's you know excitement, anger, disgust, whatever. Um, so in a way, cocktail is very similar. Uh, I. I kind of I dislike cocktails now that I've had more exposure to them when they don't make me think. You know, when, when you're sitting there and you feel bitterness and even if you like it or you don't like it, the, the fact that you're kind of processing what's in this, it doesn't go away. You know, it's still sitting there. It's encouraging me to come back to take another sip. Uh, it's a very, very artistic process and you're, it's about balance um, and kind of taking you through those different layers and levels of flavor.
1: Yeah, and I think a really great opportunity for folks who are familiar with Amari, right? Uh, I imagine that a number of folks listening out there are excited about this episode because they have had Amari in the past and they like it, they enjoy it. So one of the really great opportunities is to maybe see if you can find uh, some Donchiccio products on the uh, store shelves around where you live and compare those to some of their analogs in the kind of more established Amaro rum. Uh, so a great example would be, so in a Negroni, a classic Negroni recipe is, it's a perfect ratio, a one to one to one, gin to Campari to sweet vermouth and then you usually stir that in a mixing pint with ice, and then you either strand that into a coupe glass or potentially into a rocks glass over a single large rock, and then you garnish that with an orange twist. You can go with a lemon twist, depending. So that's that's an example of a classic cocktail made with Campari.
0: If you have the opportunity, maybe switch that out for the Luna Amara, correct? Yeah, or even the Cinque, or even the C3, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and that kind of goes back to the reason why we produce so many products in addition to the fact that you know the old seller again has 40 to 50 different unmarked bottles that we keep diving into we produce so many because we want to give you the ability to express your personality right your flavor profile your palette. you know flavors palettes they're not so cut and dry uh, so we want to give you the options like A lot of times I'll like Cinque in my Negroni because it's a little bit softer, it's a little bit lighter, and I like a more delicate gin. Now, if I'm using a heavier, kind of more forward gin, I like Luna because then I find that it helps and it mingles a little bit better. And then in terms of C3, you know, C3, you just kind of take your pick, see what it, you know, speaks to you the most. Because going back to, you know, my introduction into this industry a while back, I didn't think I liked gin. Really what it boiled down to is I didn't know what kind of gin I liked right and so within these a pair of TVs you know someone might say well I don't like the level of bitterness of that well then try you know a different option because it's like cooking it's you're not going to use this certain ingredient when you're using you know something else right so really focus in and think about you know the style of the products that you're using whether it's a piney gin or a juniper forward gin and then for your palate, what do you think would complement that nicely in a way that you would enjoy it? So, But yeah, definitely Luna is a great option, Cinque and C3. And then your simple Americano style cocktails too is actually one of my favorite things to drink now, especially because they're light and sessionable. Uh, And you know, within this industry, we are ingesting a lot of alcohol, so. Yeah, you gotta um, pace yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So if I'm sitting at a bar and I see an Amaro that I don't recognize or they have an Amaro that I'm really into, I'll get it in an Americano style cocktail. So traditionally Americano being uh, Campari vermouth and then topped with soda water. So the predecessor really to a Negroni, but just substituting out the Campari for an Amaro. Uh, and that soda water is gonna stretch it. Um, and then you also have the option, if your Amaro is a little bit sweeter, you can choose a dry vermouth. Um, mm-hmm. Or if it's you know a little bit drier, you can choose a sweet vermouth. So really not being intimidated by your ingredients, but inspired and excited about them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's
1: perfectly encapsulates the opportunity that, that your company is bringing to people. And for which I know everyone in D.C. and now increasingly throughout the country is able to appreciate. So a couple more cocktails I do want to just briefly mention. And again, we'll put these up on the show notes page. The Boulevardier, which is the whiskey kind of equivalent to the Negroni. So instead of gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth you're using Uh, one to one to one ratio of whiskey to Campari to sweet vermouth. And I really, really love making uh, the Boulevardier. I think this is a really, really great cocktail. I'm a Negroni guy in the summer and a Boulevardier guy in the winter. It's a really consistent flavor profile that you can rely on. And it's a really good cocktail to have in your repertoire so uh it's worth it you know it's it's really easy to measure and it's actually really easy to scale because that one to one to one ratio you can actually mix up two cocktails in the same mixing pint if you have a big enough pint and that's really good for entertaining purposes so if your goal is home entertainment learn how to make a negroni how to make a boulevardier Uh, the one Other variation that I'll give you is I think you should use orange bitters in both. I think that enhances it. But when I make a Boulevardier as opposed to a Negroni, I garnish with a lemon twist instead of an orange twist. And I think that lemon oil, especially if you're choosing to use a darker kind of more bitter liqueur, in place of a Campari, that lemon twist really lifts that. And you've got a really cool spectrum of flavor. And you get, especially on the first few sips, when that lemon oil is just floating right on the top, you get this intensely just energizing aroma that that really uh, kind of lifts the experience. So definitely the Boulevardier. And then you mentioned the Hanky Panky earlier, I believe, and I will correct myself in the show notes if I'm incorrect, but I believe it is two ounces or an ounce and a half of gin and then a little bit of Amari and then a little bit of sweet vermouth. Um, So I think it's kind of a Negroni style cocktail, but instead of getting the Unified one to one to one ratio. You are tweaking that in the lighter direction in favor of the gin, so you're getting a little bit more of the gin character and a little bit less of the amaro. So we'll put all those recipes for you in the show notes, folks. But I do want to jump into some lightning round questions here with Jonathan. Can I
0: give a little plug for Luna Amaro, quick, in terms of cocktails? Do it. Um, So uh, if you're a fan of mezcal out there, which is you know definitely growing uh, appreciation for people too. Uh, Luna makes a killer Mezcal Negroni. So keeping those you know easy proportions one to one to one, Luna Mezcal that you prefer. I prefer a little softer, not as smoky, so you can kind of dive into the flavors that exist in the cocktail, uh, and then your sweet vermouth. But yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and do you have any, I imagine that
1: there are bartenders who use your stuff and then internally for your own purposes, you probably come up with some
0: cocktails. Is there anywhere people can go to see any of your original cocktails? Uh, yeah. If you check out our website, um, you can see lots of cocktail ideas there. We actually, I think, break them down in terms of the individual spirits that we produce and what cocktails we make with those. And then if you're in DC, Lupo Verde is always a great place to go. Okay. Their their menu is essentially constructed around our spirits so you'll always have some of our spirits in a cocktail at lupo verde for and t street and and the food there is exceptional so definitely
1: check that out we'll give you all the website and social media information at the end of the episode here so let's jump into the lightning round we just talked about all these great cocktails if you had to pick one cocktail doesn't have to contain an amara but
0: certainly can what would your favorite cocktail be um right now what i mentioned earlier the americano i will say if you order an americano at a bar just make sure that you specify it's the alcoholic version um, i've gotten a few americanos in the past that are coffee with an amaro in it and a lot of them turn out very poorly but um, one time i ordered it with maletti and because of the sweetness of maletti it actually was pretty good so if you're looking for a coffee americano maletti is a good choice but Americanos, uh, I just, I love that rawness of the Amaro uh, that you get, the delicacy of the vermouth, um, and then just soda water, because I'm really into your sessionable style cocktails right now. So, Herbarista is a great one for, Amaro Herbaristas are a great one for an Americano. You know, uh, Del Capo is a great one. This is all, you know, considering that you're using sweet vermouth. And then the, um, so it's the, the Sabilla. Um, as well, because those tend to be more on the raw side, uh, in a way. Okay. So is Sabia Spanish? I'm not entirely sure where Sabia hails from. I believe it's the same, uh, company as Arborisa though. So, okay. Yeah, we'll try and put some links
1: to some of these other uh, Amaro producers in the show notes, but probably the most intimidating thing for people who are just getting into it is the sheer number of Amari that are out there. And actually, if you do what I normally recommend, which is go to a liquor store that usually has a really great selection, you're going to be faced with this wall of bottles, and it's going to be really difficult for you to decide without outside information. So maybe best to start your research with Amari by doing exactly what Jonathan just said. Go to the bar and order an Americano and maybe ask the bartender if she or he is willing to kind of give you different Amari each time you have one of those.
0: And maybe take you through the flavor profile. I think that's a really nice way to get into it. And then you're not going to get overly drunk either because you'll have it's a lighter style cocktail. Also, um, you know, here in DC, I know that Batch 13 on 14th Street, the liquor store, they have a lot of bottles open behind the counter. um, And I know that this isn't necessarily the case for. The majority of liquor stores out there, but in the case of them, they will actually sample out a lot of their products if they have them open. So that's another curiosity that you should always be, you know, open to the idea of is asking your, you know, retailer if they have a sample for you to try.
1: Really good advice. I, th- I know that uh, Schneiders of Capitol Hill also will do that on occasion, not always, with some of their really expensive products, but yeah, that's a really good thing to know how to ask for. And, you know, a lot of these people are just waiting for the opportunity to talk to you about flavors because they're professionals in their industry and they deal with this stuff on a day in day out basis. And you should never feel uh, bashful about approaching somebody who sells these, uh, these things to to try it. Definitely empower yourself to do that. So we've got your favorite cocktail right now. Lovely Americano. What about your favorite spirit? Maybe let's take the Amari and liqueurs off
0: the table. What's your (laughs) favorite spirit and what do you like about it? Um, So if I can be really specific about this, uh, I have to focus in on the Gracias Adios gin. Um, So it's a mezcal-based company, but they do 100% agave-based gin. And I love just the kind of the story behind it. It's a great uh, company, Gracias Adios. Um, Their mezcal is amazing. I think they have three or four varieties of mezcal. And then their gin, the reason why I like their gin is it's so refined, it's so clean, but it also is kind of an illustration, a showcase of the creativity and the possibilities of this industry. I remember the first time I saw it and I was familiar with the labels of Gracias Dios, and I just expected it to be another mezcal. And then I see gin on the bottle and, and then I see 100% agave gin and I was just kind of blown away. Um, and then I tasted it and it's, it's incredibly delicious. So to be really specific, that's my favorite. But In terms of spirits in general, I would probably have to say, mm, if liqueurs are off the table, um, a rye whiskey, good rye whiskey. You know, you really can't go wrong. Absolutely. Um, Very flexible, especially in the cocktail space. And rye whiskey,
1: if you're going back to the American roots of it, before bourbon was a big thing, rye is where all these cocktails kind of learn to walk. Yep. So absolutely. Set the stage. Beautiful. So next question. If you could have a cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would it be? What cocktail would you have? Where would you have that? And
0: what would you hang out and talk about? Um, All right. So this one's going to be a little more specific, too. Uh, Not as well known of a figure out there. Just for me, honestly, my grandfather. And it comes from the fact that I know very little, to be honest, regrettably, about my grandfather. And so I would love to take that opportunity Cause I had this I had this experience with him he's 96 now and he lives in Florida and I was out there for a work trip and I had all the products with me and I'm sharing it with you know my aunts my uncles were sitting around a table and uh, and he's you know sitting in the lounge chair watching a hockey game uh, kind of tending to himself at 96 he's a little bit quieter now he doesn't do too much um, and I gave him a little cordial glass of our flagship Amaro Amaro de Sudane. And I knew that a lot of the ingredients that are in it, you know, are a lot of things that he would cook with when I was a kid. And so he's originally from Shanghai, China. I should also kind of paint this picture. He came over to the U.S. when he was 18, lived with his uncle in New York, and then started a family on Long Island uh, in Glen Cove. And so... So being there, um, you know, knowing about his ailments and things, I thought, well, maybe, you know, this is a medicinal remedy. And even though we can't legally write it on the bottle, I genuinely believe it. I gave him a little a little glass and he kind of asked what it was. And I was like, just don't worry about it. Just drink it. (laughs) And, um, you know, I knew his palate would be already in tune with these flavors and such. And so he started drinking it and then we're over at the dinner table just kind of talking. And all of a sudden he stands up you know, walks over to the table, holds up the glass, and he just goes, powerful stuff. (laughs) And it almost brought tears to my eyes to see this product that I've, you know, gotten to know so intimately, helping him, you know, re-energizing him. Um, And so it kind of helped me recall when I was a kid, it was one of my first introductions to alcohol when he um, would take Chinese plums, and he would put them in uh, whiskey. And they would just sit in our in our pantry at home. And the only time those came out was when he was in town, and he would just eat the plum. It wasn't even like he was trying to infuse um, the flavor of the plum into the whiskey. He would just eat the plum. And so, and I tried one when I think I was eighteen or something, and it was intense. It was really, really intense. And now when I go home, I'll actually have one, and it's it's not so bad because you know you grow to to understand that that sensation. So, if I could have a drink with anybody. Uh, it would be with my grandfather, and it would be in Shanghai. And what kind of cocktail? Maybe I would sit there and make him um, a Black Manhattan. Because I think that's something that he would be into drinking. Um, and I I would do it when he was, let's see, before he came to the U.S., um, ideally. Or actually, no, maybe after. I would probably, you know, if I could choose when he was in his 20s or so. And just, you know, sit and talk uh, and just learn about his life and where he grew up and just learn more about him.
1: So. Nice. And I this is this is a completely random connection, but uh, there was a restaurant that was going out of business, and my friends, this is a couple of years ago, my friends bid made some bids in an auction, and we ended up with, like, a case of plum wine. Really? And it was a really, really good substitute for sweet vermouth. Yeah. So... Fun fact, if anybody out there has plum wine, often it tends to be on the cheaper, and by cheaper, I mean more affordable side. So if you have access to plum wine, try making yourself a Manhattan uh, with the plum wine instead of sweet from just kind of a weird little hack.
0: Yeah. One of the last times I was home, I actually was mixing cocktails for my parents and my brother, and I used some of that infused uh, whiskey that he had with the plums to, because it was, it was really sweet at that point. Um, yeah. It was good. Nice. Was really good. Cool that's a
1: great answer to that question. Also not the first person to have used grandfather. So not, not as offbeat of an answer as you might've thought. (laughs) So are there any books about cocktails or Amari that have been particularly good, informative, or interesting to you?
0: Um, so definitely bitters. Bitters was one of the first that I ever read. Um, booze hound was one as well, just getting a, a, a read on alcohol in general and then proof. Um, but in terms of this category, I started with bitters from Brad Parsons. I mean, just a great intro to, you know, what we're doing. I mean, what we do is very, very similar, um, in terms of your ingredients, your process and your purpose, right? Medicinal, uh, everyone kind of jokes and scoffs and laughs, but yeah, there's, there's value to what we throw into these, uh, into these products. And then after bitters, Amaro, I mean, kind of following the evolution, uh, Amaro also by Brad Parsons. And I think those are two really great. I would start with bitters and then I would read tomorrow after, um, kind of going in line with when he uh, came out with them as well. And then what is it, Drunken Botanist? Um, I think that's a really great one because that really dives into your specific ingredients that you're using, where they come from, why you're using them, and the variety. You know, there's so many different products out there that really help. So, yeah.
1: yeah. When I, sometimes when I'm developing flavors, which is something that I've been doing quite a bit recently, I will just open the uh, the Drunken Botanist to a random page and see what's on that page. And just, yeah. you know, it's it's a great uh, great creative piece. So we'll uh, list links to all of those books in the show notes for sure. Um, definitely focus in if you're looking for a primer on Amaro, that, that book by Brad Parsons is great. So um, finally here, if you could give any piece of advice to someone who's just kind of starting to get into the cocktail
0: world, what would that advice be? And it can be a related or completely unrelated. Um, so if you are producing your own, my piece of advice would be don't be discouraged by your first batch. And if you're experimenting in cocktails and in general, um, have an open mind, you know, like I said earlier, when I thought, you know, I didn't like gin, I'm not going to order gin, gin cocktail. no, it's because I didn't know what gin I liked. And I I often, you know, tell people too that come into our tasting room, don't be intimidated by your bartender. I was always intimidated by your bartender, right? It was kind of something that we just thought of when we turned twenty one and we're not ordering, you know, vodka tonics or vodka red bulls and stuff like, Oh, I don't know how to order a sophisticated cocktail. But the bartender, yes, this is his house, right? You need you are a guest in his house, but at the same time, he should be hospitable, he or she. And so You know, not being intimidated, having an open mind, you know, you'll discover a lot of different things, a lot of different flavors. Also, you know, don't be afraid to drink spirits on their own. Yes, sometimes they can be abrasive, but it'll teach you how to enjoy them. You know, a lot of times when you're sampling people on things, they'll just take a shot of it, they'll shoot it. But if you really sit down and sip and process it, one of the things that aggravates me the most is when someone's tasting food or a cocktail or, you know, whatever it is, and before they can even process it they're already telling you how good it is right they're they're just trying to please you in a way and they're just like oh my gosh this is delicious you haven't even tasted it yet you know it takes time especially with this category you need to let it sit on your palate like in the case of our amaro ferrocina it goes through such a long evolution that you don't get that metallic sensation until the, the citrus from the lemon and the bitterness from the Quassia bark dissipate from your palate. Not until then do you actually pick up on those metallic kind of pockets in your mouth. So kind of roundabout way of saying to don't be discouraged, uh, have an open mind and you know, be friendly with your bartender. Get to know the person handling the spirits um, and enjoy the fact that they are welcoming, welcoming you into essentially their home. Yeah, way. exactly, and that's. I mean, I think that that knowledge also
1: applies when the tables are turned and you are the host. Um, we're going to be doing. I'm, I'm putting together an episode for later down the road on uh, a concept called invisible hospitality, and hopefully this is this is going to be a really interesting episode, kind of a little bit different format. But hospitality is 100 percent a part of bartending, whether it's you or whether it's you are on the receiving end of the bar so we're definitely going to hit that topic more as we go on here. But one last comment on the flavor thing that you, that you mentioned, it absolutely does take a little bit of time to process something. And and I think one of the biggest barriers to entry, especially in the Amaro space is that it is bitter. And that is a flavor profile that we are naturally predisposed to not like you. There's literally an evolutionary reason (laughs) why we don't like it. And it's because bitterness kind of gets associated with poison and, the unfortunate part is that it's not always poison and in fact we're actually kind of also ironically predisposed to crave bitterness because of the nutrients in some of these things like the iron that you were talking about and if you recall listeners our episode with dan mccall on flavor and how flavor works flavor is a dual process it is a fusion of aroma and taste taste being the taste buds and aroma being the things that you know, you smell that are kind of like the, you know, um, like the grassy notes or the kind of like those wine descriptor notes that you get. And it takes time to, you have to be able to breathe in and out and get the, the aroma aspect of flavor to be able to get that fusion. So if you comment on something or respond consciously to something, the second it hits your tongue Jonathan's right. You haven't really given it a chance. So especially especially if you're out trying to taste an Amaro, knowing that there are some risks here, that there are some kind of, kind of risky flavors, which actually adds to the fun of it a lot of times, just give it some time. And if you don't like something, try some other ones and then return to that thing after a year. Like Fernet is a perfect example for me. The first time I tasted Fernet, i was not interested i was never coming back to that but then after i had worked with some of the Don donchicchio products for a little while and kind of learned about it i returned to fernet with new eyes and now it's one of my favorite cocktail ingredients so learn to evolve as well um, so jonathan before we get out of here and let you get back to your day here at the Don donchicchio facility how can we
0: get in touch with you digitally um so we function primarily on Instagram. So Don F E D O N C I C C I O E F I G L I, F-E-E, D-O-N-C-I-C-C-I-O-E-F-I-G-L-I. And then you can take that and then just put .com behind it in a URL and then you can get to our website. Uh, we do a little bit on Facebook and things like that, but honestly, Instagram is our go-to. So Don Chicho F-E-E, and then you can come to our facility uh, any Saturday, one to 6 p.m. We are open to the public every Saturday Unless you know Christmas falls on a Saturday, um, but other than that, we will be here. So that's the best way to access us. And then you can also, if you're looking to order products, um, if you're in another state, you can actually contact I believe the best contact would be Cordial at Union Market. Um, I believe that they will ship to most states across the country if they have the licensing for it. So you could check them out. That's Cordial, C O R D I A L, and in Union Market here in DC. But Instagram is going to be the best way to contact us. You can email us on our website and you can direct message us on Instagram. Great.
1: Yeah. And I believe if Cordial won't ship, then it's also worth checking out seller.com, which is the official website of Schneider's of Capitol Hill. And I know they do quite a bit of shipping as well. And they carry Don Chigio products. So a awesome. couple different options for you there. Jonathan, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to us about Amara. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart, or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.